0: So we're in the middle, uh, we're not in the middle, we're just the beginning of Nehemiah, Wine, Walls, and Worship. This lets you know a little bit about uh, what we're studying together. Uh, wine talks about how he started out as a cupbearer to the king in a foreign land. Um, he did, he, him and his dad were both um, born in captivity. Uh, his grandpa was taken into captivity in 586 B.C., and then he rebuilds the wall, well, spoiler alert, rebuild the wall in 52 days. It's miraculous. They reinstitute worship in the temple. Great things are happening. And at the end, he starts punching people and pulling people's hair out.
1: And uh, so
0: if you don't know anything about Nehemiah, that's weird. I'm sorry. You'll have to read this. Go to chapter 13 and figure that out. What we wanted to do with this whole series is to ask that question, when... Was Nehemiah worshipping? Okay, when was he worshipping? Was he worshipping when he prayed and he asked the king for favor uh, and went and he, he made the 800-mile journey? Was he worshipping when they built the wall to half its height? Was he worshipping when they finished and they celebrated when worship was happening in the temple? Uh, when was it happening? And the answer is yes, <laughs> right? The entire time. So whatever field you're in, I'm looking around, computer science, Mechanical engineering, business, whatever it is that you are majoring in, it, you're practicing uh, to worship for the rest of your career in your profession. I hope they haven't told you that, I don't think, yet in your classes, but I'm here to tell you that that is the case. And so we're going to open up tonight with uh, hearing about Sarah Phillips Stewart. She is a sophomore here at IEPUI. She is awesome. Thank you. Woo.
1: Hi guys, I'm Sarah. Uh, like I said, I'm a sophomore here at IUPUI. Um, I'm from Evansville, Indiana. So do you guys know where that is? It's about three hours southwest of here. So <laughs> thanks, appreciate it. <laughs> um, a little far from, a little far from home. Um, but a little bit more about me is I grew up playing soccer. So I've been playing since I was about four years old. How many of you guys play soccer? How many play soccer? Woohoo! <laughs> Yeah, it's it's great it. sport. I love it. Um, I put a lot of time and energy, and my parents put a lot of money into it. It was pretty much my entire life from age four to the you know, senior year, pretty much. Um, I played travel then about four or five, maybe six years. Um, again, a lot of time and energy into that. Um, I really started to find my identity in soccer. Um, by that, I mean that was... I was. I was a soccer girl. Nothing else really mattered. It was all, oh, when's my next game? What time's practice tonight? How am I going to get to practice tonight? Um, And that kind of formulated some pride inside me. Um, I found that growing a lot throughout, um, especially middle school and beginning of high school. Um, So I got into high school. I ended up having to quit travel when I got to high school, just time and money. My parents had gotten divorced recently before that. Um, but I got to high school and I was excited because that was kind of, I had grown up playing with these girls. I knew the coach. Um, it was, I was very excited for it. Um, and so for, uh, freshman year, I was fortunate enough to swing up to varsity. So I played JV, but I also got to dress um, dress for varsity and play a little bit. So that uh, made me even more prideful. I didn't see it at the time, but I can look back and see that, yeah, that I was just full of pride. Um, so, the next year, sophomore year, we had lost a lot of seniors, so I had a varsity spot sophomore year. Uh, that was a big deal, we had a lot of girls in our, in our program, so being a sophomore in varsity, I was like heck yeah, I get to show everyone my skills, my abilities, show these upper class and what I can do. Uh, I was super excited. And some of you guys might know where this is going. Um, I So, tryouts, the week before school started, the week before my season started, second day of tryouts, Um, I get in a tackle with one of my friends. Um, I end up dislocating my kneecap, destroying my cartilage underneath, and tearing my meniscus. So I had surgery a couple weeks later. Um, My entire first month of sophomore year was on crutches. Um, At this point, I had known Jesus. I knew who he was. I grew up in the church. But I didn't uh, understand why he would take something I put so much time and effort into away from me. Um, I was confused why this was happening to me. I didn't know why I, me and my parents, and my family spent so much time um, investing into soccer, and it was just gone. I mean, he just snatched it right out of my feet. Is how I felt. So um, I was mad at God for a little bit. Um, it took a couple months, I would say, before I realized, hey, um, that wasn't, those weren't your abilities. Those weren't your skills. God gave you those skills and you were being prideful in it. Um, I soon realized that he had to humble me in order to get me where I am today. Because y'all I guarantee I would not be here right now in front of you if it weren't for that experience. Um, God you know, kind of we're going to read Nehemiah a little bit, but you'll see Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem and he doesn't really tell anyone what he's doing. Just right off the bat. And I feel like similarly, God doesn't tell you right off the bat, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Hey, Sarah, I'm going to ruin your life, it feels like, to a 16-year-old, just to bring you closer to me. He doesn't tell us that. Um, It takes us, we have to go through these horrible times to get to where we are today. Um, I know for a fact I wouldn't love Jesus the way I do today if it weren't for that experience. Um, And I had to see just how bad it was in order to see the better.
0: And I think we've all done that. We've all asked, "Why is this happening? Why are things going so badly? Uh, You know, why? Why can I not get a handle on what is happening?" And um, and I think our passage today will do a great job with that. So we we want you to get one thing out of tonight's message: is this. You have to see the bad in order to see the better. Okay. You You have to see the bad in order to see the better. You don't look around the bad; you look it right in the face. And that's when God can allow you to see the better. So, Sarah, I'm going to hand it right back to Sarah, actually. She's going to read. If you've got a Bible, if you've got a Bible app, um, if you've got the New Version Bible app, you can click more at the bottom, events, and then you can see our name there and follow along if you want as well. Nehemiah
1: chapter 2, verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, and I, a few men with me, and I told one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate. So I returned, entered by the valley gate, and so returned. And, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Right. So he was there for three days. It's interesting that he
0: does not rush into action. If I had spent four months, a lot of people believe it took him four months to travel all the way back to Jerusalem. 800 miles uh, relatively around from chicago to new york city uh, not in a in an escalade you know and with all the materials necessary uh, to build this wall that they're going to build he doesn't rush into action verse 11 and he doesn't even talk about it verse 12 what god had placed in his heart to do for jerusalem it's ironic because what ends up happening like the most amazing thing in that time to happen in the construction sense 52 days to build the wall it's kind of ironic that he doesn't say anything about it at first and he the passage says that he arose in the night and he basically goes um, west on I-70 and then he hits 465 which is closed right now right (laughs) on the south side and he comes east and he comes back up north on the, you know, toward the east side, and he comes around to Castleton, and he comes all the way back, okay. So you get kind of the idea of what he, kind of the trajectory that he takes as he is looking at the city, and there's like this ancient, this research that was done in in the 1960s, that there was such a big pile of rubble right around the, the area on the east side where the temple used to be, the place was just ransacked. And Nehemiah, what he had to do Is he had to assess how bad this actually was And now he had all the confirmation He saw the reason why God had put it on his heart To come back to Jerusalem Now it all made sense Um, And he decided to proceed in faith uh, To do what God had asked him to do And unless you see it Unless you see how bad it is You won't seek a change How many of you have been in a bad relationship you should have changed your major a long time ago. You uh, were driving an unsafe car, uh, you know, <laughs> and you didn't care. You were doing your thing. And then the whole time someone was like, you're going to die in that car. That's what my wife kept saying to me with my old car. You can't drive any in that car anymore. Uh, but you don't see it when you're in it. Uh, for whatever reason, we have a hard time seeing when we're in it. When we see it. Uh, we can actually make a change. So let's read verses 17 and 18 of Nehemiah chapter 2. Then I said to them,
2: you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned down? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer suffer from derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me.
0: And they said, Let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. So good. So Nehemiah hits hits them with two things in these these two verses. The first was the call, which was to go back to Jerusalem, and then it was uh, the confirmation for the call, uh, which was that the pagan king allowed him to do that. Okay, and it would it would take both of these to shake the people into action. And I love this quote. It says, "Sometimes it takes a stranger to see sharply what has been softened by familiar familiarity." So I think sometimes we can get so comfortable with where our situation is, even in in an act of sin, uh, we get so comfortable, we we just get so wrapped up in it, we can't see what's actually happening. And look look what happens here. So the call is this. I want to start with the call. The call is, come, let us build. And the people needed to hear how bad things were in order for things to change. The call was to build a protective wall around the city and allow them independence, uh, freedom to worship God, uh, freedom from their enemies. Um, He says, you see it now, let's do something about it. And the call is the grounding truth we can always come back to. So the call that God has on your life is not something God is going to extend to you. And be like, never mind, Christina, whoever he's talking to. I'm I'm just going to, I was just joking. I was calling you to do this great thing. I'm calling you to go to IUPUI to get a degree. And uh, never mind. Good luck. You know? I think sometimes we feel like God does that to us. So extend the call and then rip it away. Kind of like with Sarah's story. It's perfect for tonight. And the call is the concrete truth that we can always stand on and always come back to. One of my favorite verses for this is Romans 11.29. And it says, For the gifts... And the calling of God are irrevocable. New Standard. This is the truth. This is the truth. God doesn't take it back. He says, I love you no matter what. I have asked you to be a nurse. You know, we've had a, a few nurses that didn't want to go all the way through. No, I, I, that's what I've called you to do. I have called you to do uh, counseling. I've called you to be a doctor. I've called you to be an, an artist. Uh, Whatever that that calling is, the devil is going to try as hard as he can to get you away from that truth, that call. The second thing is the confirmation. So that's like the objective fact. God lays it down. He says, "This this is true no matter what. This is true no matter how you feel. This is true no matter what anyone else says. And then the second thing is important because it's the confirmation. I told them that the hand of my God had been upon me for good. The call is great. It is grounding, it is irrevocable, yet all of us at some point, we long for confirmation. God, I know that my parents believe in you, but I'm going to need to see it for myself. I know everybody's talking about how good you are. I don't feel like you are good. You're going to have to show me that you're good. and I'm going to have to get into your word and see it. I'm going to have to see some answered prayer in my life. I'm going to have to see some deliverance from my sin. Nehemiah had the confirmation via the pagan king in Persia who had halted construction in Jerusalem for the past 20 years. If that's not confirmation, I don't know if you can get confirmation. It was obvious that God was at work. It reminds me of Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men who couldn't do math. I'm just kidding. Uh, They were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. It was undeniable that Jesus had changed their life. There's no way that these guys are doing this on their own power. Petey's not that good, or whoever's not that good. I give Petey a hard time. We're just not that good. None of us are. But they knew that they had been with Jesus. I can tell that Petey, or whomever, has been with Jesus because there's no way that on their own strength that they could have done that. So this is the testimony Um, The confirmation is the testimony So the call is the truth The confirmation is the testimony And our faith is fraudulent Okay, That's a pretty bold thing to say But our faith is fraudulent Without either of these The truth and the testimony If all you have is the truth You end up standing on the sidewalk Screaming at people Right? Which we've seen a lot of that recently Uh, If all you have is the testimony You can believe whatever you want to believe There's no truth. Live your own truth. Figure it out on your own. But you've got to have both. You've got to have the grounding truth, which is the objective fact of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, mostly. Right? That's the biggest objective fact. And then the subjective confirmation is that I have experienced the resurrected Christ. I don't just know about him. I know him. Amen? Somebody? Somebody? All right. So Sarah's going to finish this out.
1: But when Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem.
0: And Nehemiah does not mess around. So Ryan, can you help me pass these out? Okay, so this is the art that was done most recently uh, by Lauren, who's actually painting tonight. She's double duty. She's not even an art major. Biology. She figured out art also. Um, Love this passage. I love this card. Put it somewhere where you can see it. Uh, This is not health and wealth gospel. This is just a verse from the Bible, right? Uh, They jeered at us and despised us. This won't be the last time we hear from Sambolet and Tobiah. Uh, they will resurface as the main detractors, the uh, antagonists from the work on the wall. And when God, this is just true, and I don't know if you've experienced this in your own life, and I'm going to give a great biblical example of this, but when God gives us a call and a confirmation, I know a lot of you went on mission trips this past summer and last year, um, I'm thinking of like Holly's mission trip. I love those pictures, right? Um, When you have an experience like that, the devil, the, the thing he wants to do is take that away from you. He does not want you to hold on to it. He don't want you to remember it. He wants to just ruin it for you. So when God gives us both a call and a confirmation of that call, we should always anticipate the devil coming in to discourage us from doing anything about it. Haven't you seen that in your life? You get so fired up about something. God's revealed something to you at church. Uh, You've you, you got this plan that you're going to do. You're going to start reading your Bible more consistently. You're going to start praying. You're going to start journaling. You're going to do all these things uh, so that your life can be different. Um, but it, it doesn't happen because you don't act on it. And the devil tries to think, make you think that this isn't a big deal. You can't do this. And I love Jesus' baptism as an example. You're like Jesus' baptism. What are you talking about? So when Jesus was baptized, this is from Matthew chapter 3, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw, now what does this even look like? He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then I'm like, wow, that was so inspiring. Oh man, I want to get baptized. And then look at this verse. This is the one that we don't teach the kids. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus is pretty well acquainted with, right? To be tempted by the devil for 40 days in which he does not eat. That does not sound fun. You know? Think about this. When God gives us a call and a confirmation of the call, we should always anticipate the devil coming in to try to discourage us and tempting Jesus on every level like we are tempted today. So, Nehemiah just throws it down. The guy, later on, will be punching people, which is probably wrong. Here he's actually doing pretty well. The God of heaven will make us prosper, which is what your card says. Detractors will always point to our inadequacies as reasons why... We can't accomplish what God has laid out before us. You've done too many bad things. You are not a good person. You may seem like a good person to everybody, but I know what you're really like. You know, So therefore, you're disqualified. What kind of example are you? You won't even know what to say. And it goes on and on. We would be smart in these times to remind our enemies, mainly our enemy the devil, that it won't be us who will be doing the prospering. It will be our God. You may want to write that in on the card. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, it won't be us that'll be doing the prospering. It will be God doing the prospering. The following verses. I mean, this is my wife's favorite passage. I share it from time to time. Uh, not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our and our adequacy is from God, who made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. It is so awesome that Nehemiah says to them, you chumps have no claim in Israel. Does the devil, does people who do not like you, do not Christians who try to discourage you, do they have any claim or authority on your life? No, they do not. Why are we listening to those voices so much? You have to see the bad in order to see the better. And Ryan's going to share his story about Uh, Coming to IUPUI, actually. Hey, all right. So, um, I love what
2: Andrew talked about there. After you, so you you first you see the bad, and then after you see the bad, God gives you a vision for the better. Um, And I, I, when I was in high school, um, that's what happened to me. Um, I just I kind of lived my life. I you know did speech and debate, I did basketball, I you know worked a part time job. I did I did all those things. Um, but I never felt like my faith was alive, and I saw people like my older brother, I saw people like my friends, I saw people in church who, you know, would talk about, um, you know, these moments where they would just feel, you know, like God was speaking to them, and I was like, man, I fall asleep when I pray, um, you know, and I just, it, it never felt alive for me. Um, and then I had a moment in high school where I came face to face with the reality of what it meant to have the Holy Spirit indwelling me. Um, and it was a moment where I was faced with a situation I didn't know what to do with. is um, driving home already. Um, and all of a sudden, I felt all these scriptures and, and all these, um, you know, sermons which I'd heard just flowing through, and I, I immediately knew how to respond to that situation. And it was the first moment that I kind of caught that vision of what it truly meant like to follow the Lord and what it truly meant like to have the Holy Spirit in me. And so that moment happened to me in my junior year of high school. I I caught that vision. I'd seen the bad. I'd seen what my life was like, and then I caught that vision for the future. And I was like, you know what? College is going to be totally different than high school. It's going to be great. Um, My best friend, he was a year older than me, so he graduated. He went to Purdue. He was on a five-year program. I was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to go to Purdue. He and I are going to room together. It's going to be awesome. We're going to sharpen each other, push each other towards Christ. We're going to run Bible studies out of our dorm room. You know, like, I'm going to be on fire for Christ. This is going to be amazing. Like, I'm going, like, that's my vision. I'm going to Purdue. My life is going to be transformed. It's going to be great. So when it came down to apply to colleges, I applied to Purdue, and then I also applied to IUPUI. It's the only two places I applied to, and I was like, I'm going to Purdue. Like, love Big Ten sports. Like, my friends out there, like, this is the vision. This is the calling that God has given me. It's going to be amazing. And <laughs> through the application process and through scholarships and through all these different things, I realized, like, I'm gonna end up going to IUPUI. I'm not gonna to go to Purdue. And here's the deal, I'm the youngest in my family, and both of my siblings came to IUPUI. Uh, they were both insanely successful, both of them one top IUPUI student. Um, you know, both of them were super, and I was like, I don't wanna to go to IUPUI, like, I'm gonna go there, and everyone's gonna like, have these huge expectations for me. And the other thing is both of my siblings at times throughout their college career had really struggled to find a community um, which pushed them towards Christ. And so that's what Nehemiah, that was the situation he was in when he showed up in Jerusalem, is he looked at the city. God had given him this great vision to rebuild the city, and he got there, and there was so much rubble he couldn't even walk around it. And that's where I felt like I was. God had given me this great vision for what college was supposed to be like and how he wanted me to live on purpose for him in college. And then he, I was going to go to a college where I didn't think that was going to be able to happen, where I didn't think that was going to be a thing. So around this time... Um, my mom was like, hey, you should start thinking about a roommate. And I was like, I don't want to think about a roommate. Like, I'm just going to get a random roommate. It's whatever. Like, my whole calling from the Lord has been destroyed. Um, <laughs> right? This is terrible. This is miserable. Um, and she was like, well, she was like, I was talking to one of my friends the other day. And she said that her son was thinking about going to die. You should text him. I was like, okay, well, who is it? She was like, it's Mike Smith. There's Mike Smith is sitting over here. I didn't tell him I was going to say this. He's the tallest person in the room, so you'll find him later. Um, so I texted Mike, and I was like, yo, what's up, Mike? And he's like, not much. Now, keep in mind, Mike and I knew each other when we were three years old. Since we were three, we probably interacted maybe five times. Um, so not a lot of times, but I knew who he was. And I texted him, and I was like, what are you thinking about college? And he's like, I'm going to this college in South Carolina. Uh, okay, well, the only lead I had is out the door. Like, you know, At this point, my mom created a Facebook account for me to try to find a roommate for me. And I was like, yeah, it's not about all these things were happening. Right? And so I was just at this moment, and... A lot of us in this room might be there where we feel like God has given us a calling, um, whether it's a calling into a specific major, whether it's a calling into a relationship, whether it's a calling in in whatever it is, and then we feel like he hasn't equipped us to get there. And that's where Nehemiah was in this story, right? He walks around the city and he has this calling he doesn't know how he's going to get there. But the beautiful thing is if God has called you and he's equipped you, if God has called you, then he will equip you. Um, And so what happened then is about two weeks later I get a text. And it's from Mike Smith. And he's like, hey man, change your plans. I'm coming to IUI, you want a room together? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Well, but then because of the delayed response, I was in a learning community in the tower. And it was a closed learning community. And Mike wasn't a business major, so he wasn't supposed to be allowed in that learning community. So I was like, oh no, here, my vision's just destroyed again, right? (laughs) Well, my mom was like, I'll make some calls, I'll talk some people. Lo and behold, Mike ends up being able to room with me. And I realized that this vision that the Lord had given me was going to be able to happen. And so I went to Mike, and I was like, hey, man, let's start a Bible study in our dorm room. Like, let's do it. Let's make it happen. And so I figured this Bible study would be myself, like the three or four people I knew from high school who were coming to IUPUI. Mike, maybe the two people he knew um, from high school coming to IUPUI. And that, you know, nice, intimate setting. It'll be great, right? Well, first week... Mike starts knocking on every door up and down our hallway. He's like, hey, I'm Mike Smith. This is Ryan. We're running a Bible study. You should come. Tuesday nights at 730. I was like, Mike, what are you doing, man? Um, But that's the beautiful thing that you'll find is when God gives you that calling, he'll give people and circumstances to come alongside you and equip you um, to do that and to push you to do that. Um, So I think there's a picture of that freshman life group. Um, So here's a picture of the freshman life group. This was actually um, on my birthday. Uh, So my mom came down, brought some through, brought the dog to surprise. Uh, But you might recognize some faces in here. Um, We got Tyler, he's in there, Mike's in there, um, Liz, Nathan, so, um, Emily's out there, and there's a lot of people. But the the beautiful thing about this, um, and I was thinking about this the other day when I was talking with Andrew, is um, not all of them are pictured in this picture, but of the about 16 to 17 students who regularly came to that group, which we started our freshman year, um, eight or nine of them went on to lead Bible studies of their own, um, whether that was within Impact or whether that was within other organizations like Crew. And it was just this incredible moment where I realized that God had given me a vision, and I thought that vision had died. But in reality, that vision was here at IDPY. and He brought Mike alongside me, brought these people alongside of me. And, you know, they were nice when our Bible group only met for 15 minutes because that's all we had to talk about. Um, and they were nice when we would ask people to pray, and they'd just be like, no. I'm not comfortable with that, and they just wouldn't pray, right? And there were nights nice when it was really hard, um, but it's so cool to look back and to see how um, even when I thought the vision was dead, even when I thought the calling was dead, that God had something so much better in plan, and that he brought Mike into my life, and that he brought all these other people into my life, and then to see how that's been multiplied and, and um, expanded throughout IEPY in the time here. Um, and so what I, what I want to leave you guys with is just an encouragement that, um, When you're faced with the bad, whatever that is, look for God to give you the calling for the better. And when he gives you that calling, there's three things you need to be. You need to be prayerful, you need to be positive, and you need to be prepared. Because there's going to be naysayers that come along, there's going to be situations that come along which make it look like that vision is going to be dead. But if that vision is truly from God, then he's going to equip you to make it happen, and it's going to be an awesome thing when it does happen. But our end of the bargain is to remain careful, to remain positive, and to remain prepared for whatever he has in store.
0: Wow. All right, let's go back up in the passage real quick and just grab a few things, and I've gonna uh, we're going to sing out of here one more song. Uh, go, go back up in the passage. <laughs> this doesn't like me. Number one. Hurry up and wait. You know and the first thing he does when he comes in the city does he immediately get everything going? No, for three days he does nothing. And I think we, if we force it, we will ruin it. Okay, that's the first thing you need to know. Hurry up and wait. If we force it, we will ruin it. Wait for God to move to direct you. Number two, don't fall into NBD. No big deal. And I, I, think it's, I think I'm like kicking something. I'm recognize the impossibility, um, the evil, and watch God work. It's easy for us to say either overdramatize something and make it way bigger than it actually is, or to say, ah, it isn't that big of a deal. And usually that's what we do. To get by something, we act like it's not that big of a deal so that we can kind of move on with our life. You guys have done that before? I've done that many times. That is not it. Um, no, we need to say, it is that bad. And that's where we have to start so many times. Goodness. Number four. Uh, Number three. You need a call and a confirmation. In this process, God gives you two weapons. The objective fact and the subjective experience of knowing the resurrected Jesus. And hold on to those. Those are your weapons. He gives you those two weapons for a reason. And so if you know the truth and you're not spending any time with God, it's not giving you any, any inspiration or encouragement or filling your cup up, however you want to say it, uh, you're not going to be living out the life God wants you. If you're, uh, and it just goes both ways, we've got to have that grounded truth and we've got to have the experience. And the last thing, here come the boobirds. and I don't know if you've ever heard that uh, phrase before But when you move to the better Expect opposition If Jesus himself Received opposition After his baptism I say you better Realize that it's coming And so you have to see the bad In order to see the better So let's uh, invite the worship team To come back up And I'm going to tell you One more story i read two passages um, Just throw that next slide up Jeremy So when we, let me just let me just lay this out here, sorry. I'm going to slap somebody. Alright. We, uh, let me, uh, if you're looking for a house, and you say, I'm going to get this house and I'm going to use it to minister to college students, and I'm looking for a good house, you know, I don't want this to be any bad house, you know, and, and you walk in and all you see immediately is you see a dead mouse on the floor. You think, oh, great sign, dead mouse. I think this is a place we should Pursue. Okay, what about a leaky roof? It's ruining all the painting that you just did. And water is running down the wall. Oh, this is a great place for college students to be. I think we should pursue this. What if uh, water, a water line breaks at the curb and it pours water into your dirt floor basement because it's such an old house, it starts flooding the house in the basement. Oh, this is a great place uh, to, to live and to have college students have your office space. What about defiled toilets? And when we first did our our first uh, tour of this house, it smelled so bad I wanted to walk right back back out. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. Faulty electrical, that's what this sounds like up here. Uh, Literally, you would turn a light switch on upstairs and all the lights would go out because it was so bad. No AC. The smell, once again, broken chandeliers creep me out, okay? Broken ceiling fans. Um, literally one of our guys uh, his sister's here tonight he went to do some landscaping at the house and one of our neighbors of the house uh, was passed out on the porch our porch hello sir he's shaking him this is not your home you need to go somewhere else sir this is it, sir it's scary bay. we have a scary basement and uh, next slide and so that, that is where our campus house is currently, where we have five residents. It's not like that now. <laughs> all those things have actually been replaced. Um, we do that in from time to time. But I think sometimes we, we, wanna, we say all those things, and we see what God is doing, and we, we don't really see. All we see is a bunch of mess. How can I ever? And we want to look around it, and you, you couldn't even look around that. You had to look through it. You had to wade through it. And some of us have to do that in our own lives. I want to leave with two passages. This is the first. Let's stand together as I read these, and we're going to sing. The first one is this: 2 Corinthians chapter four, verses six through eleven. For God, who said, "Let light shine out of darkness," has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. A lot of people believe that the book of Revelation, the reason it's so creepy and weird, there's blood running up to the bridles. is this crazy, ap- ap- apocalyptic book. It's really weird. You're like, what is going on? Why is there so many weird things happening? It's because at the end of time, in order for God to have the new creation, He has to really deal with the bad. He has to bring all the evil to the surface so He can actually deal with it. So at the very end of Revelation, this is Revelation 21.5, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You notice that he doesn't say better, like we've been saying all night. He says new. He doesn't say duct tape. He says new. He doesn't say super glued. He says new. And so as we come to this, this, this is a great song for us to end tonight, thinking about what it means to be new.